Um, if you've got your Bibles, do please keep them open in that bit in uh, the book of Timothy. Uh, you might have thought a bit of a random section to jump in on to be reading. We're going to be mainly focusing on verses 11 to 16 today. Um, turn this on. All good. Wonderful. Great. So looking at verses 11 to 16 of chapter 6. Back in October, when it was half term time, Jamie and I, my wife, we took Aoife, our daughter, on the train, very exciting, down to London to do some tourist stuff. She'd never really been. She'd studied London at school, so we thought we'd take her to go and see some things. So we went, we went to Buckingham Palace, and we got excited because the Queen was in. She didn't come and say hello. Um, we went to St. Paul's Cathedral. Uh, my wife's dad has got a plaque on the wall there. He was uh, an RAF. Um, he was killed in RAF service. There was a plaque in there from the first Gulf War. We went to see that in the crypt. We then went to the Millennium Bridge. We ended the day in the Natural History Museum. It was very exciting. We did London Underground, which my daughter loved. We went on a London bus, which she found boring. Um, and it was just a really, really good day. We're hoping to go back a bit later this year. But on our way back, when we got to the tube station, we discovered uh, that one of the lines that we needed was out of operation that day. Okay, no worries, not a problem. We worked out another route, and we quickly jumped onto the train that pulled up. Although it quickly became apparent that that train was going completely the wrong direction. But again, not a problem in London. Just jump off at the next stop, go back where you came from. Except that by now, it was just after 5 p.m. Yeah, and quickly, the tube station got absolutely packed and rammed with people wanting to get to where we were trying to get away from. So we were trying to walk this way. They were all walking that way. I'm trying to lose my five-year-old daughter. And if I'm honest, my wife's barely five foot two. I was also trying to not lose her. Um, I stand out enough in a crowd. She doesn't. Um, So it was hard. Like, going in the opposite direction to everyone else wanting to get onto the train as we're trying to get across the bridge was really tough. It was more tiring than, it, especially end of a tiring day. I was a bit fed up. What I wanted to do is the sort of thing I would have done as a student, which is just go with the crowd. Get on the train. It doesn't matter. Get on the train. Get back. Find my way back when I had enough time to do it without as much effort. Going against the direction everyone else was going was exhausting. Following along would have been much easier. And I think that's a little bit how Timothy, this letter's written to, was feeling in Ephesus when Paul wrote to him. He's exhausted. He's weary. And if he's honest, he feels like it would just be easier to give in and go with the flow of everybody else. And make no mistake about it, Timothy had a tough job. As you read through the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, Paul was writing to him to keep teaching against this whole raft of false teachers that had crept in, teaching lies and distorting the gospel and all sorts of nonsense, and telling people, you don't have to be the godly to be a Christian, you can just live how you want, it's absolutely fine. And Timothy's being charged by the Apostle Paul to run towards godliness as an example to his church. Even when his church all seems to be wanting to run the other direction pushing against him every step that he went. And they were running towards the false teaching that the false teachers were doing about money and about holiness and godlessness and godly living. And Timothy was being told to go against that flow, to swim upstream, to pursue godliness and to teach against the godlessness of the lives all around him. And he was exhausted. He was absolutely shattered. From what we know about Timothy, which isn't loads, he was a youngish man, prone to nervousness and ill health. And this just all seems to feel a bit too much to him. 
How is he meant to do all of this? How is he meant to obey the Apostle Paul and God with what he's charged to do in this letter? He can't do it. He feels weak. He feels intimidated. And he's absolutely exhausted. Maybe you feel the same this evening. Just exhausted. Just shattered. Maybe coming out of the pandemic into a war in Europe and the increased cost of living is just all getting on top of you. Maybe there are other circumstances in your life that are causing you just pain and frustration and weariness, sapping all of your energy. Whether those are big things or small things. Perhaps there are ongoing struggles with ill health. It's just wiping you out. Maybe for you, resisting certain particular sins that you know are a weakness for you, it's just overwhelming. It feels like a fight you can't keep fighting anymore. Especially when you look around in the world or at university or social media at school and other so-called Christians, well, they can do what they want to do. Why can't I do it? It's tiring. Or maybe just the constant sacrifices you feel like you're making to be faithful to Jesus, giving up things with money and pleasure and time and the stuff everyone else seems free to do, maybe that just feels too much. Maybe too tiring. Or maybe you're aware you're approaching the end of your race. And to keep going, I can just have a bit of fun for now, can't I? I've not got long left. You're exhausted. And in truth, you might even be on the verge of giving up. Or, let's be optimistic, perhaps you're feeling none of those things. Perhaps you're feeling all right, feeling pretty healthy and steady in your Christian life. But in truth, if you're anything like me, you worry about being like that one day. That one day you will lose your faith. That you'll run away from the God you claim to love right now and shipwreck everything. That's one of my biggest fears, is outliving my love for Jesus. Maybe that's yours. Well, whatever it is, we need these verses that Paul writes to Timothy. These are his closing words in this letter to Timothy. And the verses just before it that we also had read are probably aimed at those in his church who are kind of listening over Paul's shoulder, who are abandoning Timothy's sound teaching. And they were running after money and riches more than anything else that Timothy had taught them in the gospel. Paul is clearly writing to those people there, isn't he? But in verse 11... It's almost like he grabs Timothy by the face and pulls his head towards him and says, but you, Timothy, that was all for them. You, Timothy, I'm talking to you. Listen really clearly here in these verses, Timothy. This is specially for you. Because Paul really wants to encourage Timothy. He's desperate to encourage Timothy to keep going in this mission he's given him. Even the name that he gives him in verse 11, which was read so well for us, thank you, it would have really encouraged Timothy. He calls him man of God. Now, this is a name given to several people in the Old Testament. Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha, they are all called man of God. They're some of the most significant people in the Old Testament. And Paul uses that same name for Timothy. Man of God, keep going. Keep going to the end. But it's all well and good telling someone to do something if you don't tell them how to do it. Like if I was a swimming instructor and you jumped in the pool and I said, yeah, just swim then. That wouldn't make me a very good swimming instructor, would it? Well, just copy them. They're doing it. No, no. You need telling how to do this, what you need to do first of all. So how do we keep going in our Christian lives? How are you or I meant to not outlive our love for Jesus? How are we meant to keep going to the end? 
And I think in these few verses, Paul gives us four instructions to help us keep going if we want to keep going to the end. If we want our faith alliteration. Um, again, so there's a couple here who know my dad well, and a few of the people earlier, it sounds like, know my dad too. He would use alliteration as much as possible. I like alliteration too. I picked that up. So, is this working? Doesn't appear to be. Yeah, how to keep going to the end. First of all, he tells Timothy to flee. That's the first thing you ought to do if you want to keep going to the end. Flee. Verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Flee, meaning run away from it as fast as you can to absolutely leg it. Get away from it quickly. Run. But flee from what? What is Timothy to run away from? What is What does Paul mean by all this? Well, I think it kind of means the verses that we also had read to us tonight. All the godlessness that he's just been warned about. Run away from this false teaching. Run away from it. Have nothing to do with it. Run away from sinful desires when they raise their head. Especially the stuff that in the letter up to this point. So run away from unhelpful chat about controversies and quarrels and any envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and friction. And especially in this section, Timothy is to run away from that kind of worldview teaching that says that money can save you and the most important thing you can pursue. Some people who don't run away, Paul says, have wandered away from the faith entirely. But you, Timothy, don't do that. Run away from the temptation to think that money is everything. That you can use your position in the church to get financial gain. Run away from the temptation that financial gain and status is more important than church commitment and serving. That's godlessness, Paul says. But again, if you read through 1 Timothy, you'd think it'd be obvious. Why is Paul repeating? He's kind of said this a few times already in this letter. Why is Paul repeating himself? Like, you think it'd be obvious that Timothy would want to run away from this. Paul's repeatedly told him how bad all this stuff is. Of course Timothy's going to want to run away from that. They're clearly bad things. But the truth is, Paul needs to remind Timothy and us to flee from these things, basically because we've got really short memories, haven't we? Really, really short memories. And so we often run towards the things we should be running away from. There's a church historian called Claire Davis, and she describes, I think accurately, the Christian life as basically a form of amnesia and deja vu. I know I've forgotten this before. And isn't that the Christian life? Isn't that how often we are with sin and the way it can damage us? And I wonder if you know what these animals are. Good. They are black-footed ferrets. And they're wonderfully cute, but that's not the reason they're on the board. <coughs> board, I'm still a teacher. On the screen. They used to be native all over North America. But by the 1980s, there were only about 10 of black-footed ferrets living in the wild. So, conservationists took them into captivity, into what they called a ferret boot camp, which I quite like the name of. And they began a breeding program, and they got loads of them. It was really good. But then, they needed to give them predator avoidance training which is not to do with the alien thing. Uh, this is predators and animals that will hunt them and eat them. Because some predators, um, badgers especially, are particularly deadly to this tiny little creature. So what they did is they got, they got a dead badger and they stuffed it but in like a, an angry hunting pose. And then they put it on like a robot car 
and wheeled the car around their enclosure in the hope that these ferrets would run away from it terrified. Well, it didn't work, and within a few days, the ferrets, instead of running away from it, were sitting on that badger and getting rides around the enclosure. <laughs> They'd play chase games with it, hoping that it was all sort of fun. You see, the thing they should have been running away from, they ended up playing with, and not taking it anywhere near as seriously as they should have been, and they let it right into their lives. And how often are we like that with sin? We know we should flee from it. We know the things that are bad for us. We see clearly from the Bible why we shouldn't do certain things or behave certain ways. But instead we end up playing with it. And we let it exist in our lives. Yeah, there are some battles we need to stand and fight. But we also need to know when there are things we just need to flee from and run away from. You know the sins that you need to run away from more than I do. I could reel off a list of things that might stick to some of you. But you know those sins that you battle and that you fight and that you need to run away from rather than fight. And so Paul says that if we want to end the race well, if we want to make sure we never outlive our love for God, we sin. Run away from sin as quickly as we can. Like Joseph in the book of Genesis, run. And especially here in Timothy, we need to run away from the false godlessness of money-loving and materialism. If you feel that creeping, that desire for a bigger house, a nicer house, more money, bigger bank account, better job is the most important thing. Paul says, flee. That is a danger that will suck you in. Run away. But it isn't just a negative that Paul gives Timothy. Like It's all well and good telling somebody, don't do that. But what am I going to do instead? Well, thankfully, Paul tells him. Because the second F, along with fleeing, Timothy is to follow. Verse 11, follow. You, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So don't just run away from sin to any old place. No, run instead from sin to good things. Run after good things instead. You see, the God is not to just stop doing bad things. It frees us to live godly lives that we never could before without God's freedom. Conquering over sin on the cross shows itself in our lives by our ability to conquer sin in our own lives. And godliness we were never able to get on our own. And Paul has three pairs of things for Timothy and for us to follow and to chase after. And the first that Paul says to follow is righteousness. Righteousness and godliness. So following righteousness means growing in the knowledge and confidence of our complete right standing before God if you're a Christian. Remind ourselves of the gospel truth that no matter how rotten and dirty right now, God sees you as completely righteous, perfect, and in his side thanks to the faith of Jesus. And then following godliness means that we can live that out in our daily lives. We can grow in our personal holiness. We can fight sin. We can honor God. We can be a witness around us, an example for him and of him, wherever we are and whoever we're with. Paul says, pursue righteousness and godliness. (coughs) But then the second pair Paul says to follow is love, faith and love. So following faith means that knowledge of who God is and what he's done 
seen in the Bible and then living like that's really true. Like I believe that chair can take my weight. I show my my weight on it. What are we doing that with our faith? We need to grow in our knowledge of who God is and what he's done and how he's promised to look after us. So we need to learn more about him so that we can put our trust in him actively more and more when we're called to do it and know what he calls us to do. And then following love that means as a result of our knowledge of who God is and what he's done for us means that we can put that in action as we love each other. Putting others first. Thinking of other people's needs more than our own needs. Putting other people's wants and hurts and pains, thinking of them as more important than our own wants and hurts and pains. And that starts in our homes if we're married. That starts in our houses. If you're a husband or a wife, that starts at home with your husband or your wife. And then with your children, if you have those as well. Putting their needs above your own. Even when they don't do it back. But then it carries on primarily in our church family. Coming to every gathering together with the desire to serve other people rather than to be served ourselves. That's what this love looks like in action. And then the final piece is endurance and gentleness. Endurance and gentleness. I might give up in a moment with this quicker. It's me being rubbish. So following endurance means keep going. Like, have it in your mind. You're just not going to give up. You are not going to give up pursuing the things he's already talked about. You're going to go growing in keeping going, even when it is hard. Having that mindset, all right, I know it's going to be hard. I'm ready for it. I'm going to get through it because the Lord is with me. So not giving up when the stresses and the worries of hurts and life set in. Even when the doubts come. It means learning to flee from sin and follow God when the temptations come. Not giving in and doing all of that while following gentleness. You see, the truth is grumpiness, snapping, snarkiness, it's not a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness is. And this word in particular is talking about gentleness in the middle of pain and hurt. So not just being able to be gentle when everything's fine and dandy, but when you're really suffering, being able to be gentle with people who might otherwise do your head in even when we're in pain. Our own pain is no excuse to be harsh and unkind to other people. See, Paul says, follow these things like a lion follows its prey. Make doing these things and living this sort of life our mission. Run away from sin. Don't be like the ferrets with the badger. And instead, chase these things down instead. Follow these things more than you follow anything else. It is not enough to just flee. You have to follow too if you want to keep going in your Christian life. And when preparing this, I've been struck at how often, maybe this is a personal thing, I get this the wrong way around. Like so often I get this the wrong way around. Instead of fleeing from things that will do me harm and following the things that I know will do me good long term, this godliness... I find my time and my energy spent more running after things that, if I think about it, will probably do me harm spiritually. And I neglect far too often to do the things that I know will do me good. So we need this reminder, don't we? It's a constant life of amnesia and deja vu. We need to flee from sin and we need to follow godliness. But that isn't going to be easy. Don't be under any illusions that that's going to be a nice walk in the park, a nice easy thing to do. 
Paul certainly isn't under any illusions. And so the third F he gives us is that we need to fight. We need to fight and be ready to fight in verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith, he says to Timothy. Now this doesn't mean fight any and every theological fight you can have. I spent far too much of my time at university in particular fighting pointless theological battles. Ones if I look back, I don't believe what I thought I believed then now. I'm pretty convinced I was wrong about most of the arguments I've had in my 20s. And in verse 20, Paul tells Timothy to turn away from just opposing others' wrong ideas. See, if we're known more for what we're against than what we're for as Christians, then I think we've got it wrong. If our social media or our WhatsApps or our interactions with other Christians or our family is filled more with ranting about what we're against than what we're for and about the finished gospel work that Jesus has done for us, then you might well be fighting the wrong fight. Instead, Paul says to Timothy, we have one fight to fight, and that is the good fight of the faith. That means the fight for the gospel to remain pure and to be taught faithfully and clearly all around our country and all around our world. Fight for gospel purity and clarity. That will hone your brain in the fight against sin. It will hone your brain and your heart in your fight to keep going for Jesus if you're fighting for the right things. Fight for gospel purity and clarity. That's what Timothy was called to fight for there in Ephesus. For the truth of the gospel to be taught and to fight against the false teaching that would undermine the truth of the gospel. And this is really intense language here. Well, I've never studied Greek. I couldn't name any of the Greek alphabet, probably. But apparently, the literal term translated here for fight the good fight literally means agonize the good agony. They're not comfortable, cozy Christian words, are they? They don't imply a a nice, easy Christian life. Timothy, this Christian life is going to be hard. If you want to keep going to the end, this is going to hurt. The fights are going to be tough. But keep fighting. Contending for the gospel wherever you are is going to be hard work. But keep going. Paul's almost cheering him on from the sidelines here saying, go on Timothy, keep fighting. Keep going to the end. A few years ago, um, believe it or not, I did the Couch to 5K running plan. Now, I am not a runner. I find running intensely boring. And people who go on those long runs, I often wonder what they're running from. But anyway, I needed to do it. And it all culminated doing the Couch to 5K thing. It all culminated in a park run, which is a 5K run around a Leicester Park. Now, for me to run 5K without stopping was kind of a big deal. Probably a bigger deal than it should have been, really. I'm not built for long-distance running, but that's no excuse. I've managed to do a few 5K runs in my training, but they were on fairly flat ground. And uh, and the Braunston Park run that I ended up doing... I mean, I want to call them hills, probably not. They had a few ups and downs, um, and it made it a fair bit harder for someone like me. And as I was coming up one of the hills, I saw um, uh, somebody, one of the other members of the Couch to 5K club, so I ran it with a running club, just ahead of me, and she was clearly flagging. She was clearly kind of doing that thing where, I want to keep going, but I can't quite do it. And I knew, she told me, she really wanted to get around the whole 5K without stopping. And so I just shouted ahead to her and just said, go on, keep going. You're nearly there. Keep going. And she told me after that really helped spur her on, keep her going. But she finished in a much quicker time than me because I was flagging. 
I was weary and I was exhausted and just tired, especially at the end. The end was, again, a slight incline. I'm going to call it a hill. It was up a, a, a muddy slight incline. And as I came around that last corner, sort of thinking, maybe I can just walk to the final line, my wife and daughter had turned up to just cheer me along. My daughter, I think she was three, was holding a sign saying, go on, daddy. It just helped keep me going. It helped me keep fighting, even when it hurt. It helped me to keep agonizing the good agony. And it helped. I finished. It was a few years ago, but still I did it. Now, Paul's going to write at the end of his next letter to Timothy, right before he dies, that he has fought the good fight and he's run the race. What Paul called Timothy to do is not something he's unwilling to do himself. And Paul can use this language knowing just how hard this Christian race is. But with the integrity of somebody who's agonizing the good agony alongside us. So two things from that. If you're a Christian here, I want you to be really aware that Christian life is going to be hard. It is going to be difficult. There are going to be battles and it's going to be agony to the end. And you need to be prepared for that. But some pains are worth it, aren't they? Some pains are worth keeping fighting through and not giving in for. So I want to encourage you to fight the good fight. Agonize the good agony. Keep going. Don't give up. If you're on the verge of giving up tonight, please hear me really clearly from these words in the gospel. Do not give up. It is worth it. Keep going. We need to fight. But we also need to be aware that we're all in our own fights. And you know what? I need my church family to help me keep going, and they need me to help them keep going. You need each other. Please be aware when you come to church, you are meeting other people who are fighting a fight you know nothing about. So look for ways to encourage each other to keep going, to fight this fight with them, to run this race with them as much as you can. Get alongside each other. Be aware that other people are struggling too alongside them and help them to fight. That sounds exhausting, doesn't it? Uh, even when we're already exhausted, this feels like I've just added another few to-dos on top of your list. A few more things we need to crack on and do more of. It's all well and good telling someone to keep going on a Saturday morning 5k run, but how do we keep going when the tank's empty and when there's nothing left in the legs? And when the pull to stop is getting stronger than we are. Well, that's why Paul gives us his final F. And the the final thing that Paul tells us to keep, if we want to keep going to the very end, is to fix onto. Fix onto. Read verse 12 again. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See, Paul tells Timothy to take a hold, meaning to fix onto, to latch onto the eternal life that he has been called to as a forgiven child of God. And this stuff about him making his confession in the presence of many witnesses, we don't 100% know what that's talking about, but it probably is either his baptism or his commissioning service as an elder of the church there in Ephesus, where Timothy declared the truth that he believed about eternal life that's been won for him. But, If Timothy already has eternal life, how can Paul tell him to take a hold of it? Like, what is that all about? How can he take hold of something he already has? Well, that meaning of that word, take hold of, it it, it means kind of stronger than fix onto or take hold of. It means to grasp onto something as if your very life depended upon it. It's kind of a violent word. 
to take hold of it in order to make it your own and keep it your own. Do you remember back in early 2020 when people were running to supermarkets and we saw those videos of people like fighting over toilet rolls? Well, those people were grabbing onto those bags of toilet rolls. They were fixing onto it in this kind of same passion and violence. I want that. I'm making it mine. And this is the same word used when Peter walks on the water to Jesus, begins to sink, and then Jesus grabs him, takes a hold of him. It's used in Acts when the crowd seizes Paul. It is a strong, almost violent word. And the idea, I think, here is that you already have eternal life, Timothy, but in the middle of this fight, to help you keep going to the end, grab onto the truth of that eternal life and everything you know about it to help you keep going now. It is the only thing that is going to keep you going. And I recently read the account of a, an American chap um, who shot an eagle out of the sky, um, as you do. I think they, that's quite common in America, I think. But when he looked at the eagle, he picked it up, and he saw that it had embedded in its neck the skull of a weasel. Like the teeth clamped into this eagle's neck. And he kind of worked out what must have happened is that the eagle had swept in to try and eat this weasel. And this weasel thought, my only chance here is to fight back. So that weasel turned around and latched itself onto this eagle's neck in the hope of keeping alive. It didn't work. The eagle eventually flew off. But now he's just, just had this skull left of this weasel that decided to cling itself onto this eagle rather than let go. That weasel had fixed onto that eagle. It was clinging onto it for dear life. And that is what Paul calls Timothy to do. And if we want to keep going in this Christian life, we need to do the same with the guaranteed promises we all have of a glorious, eternal future with God in heaven. That is a truth that can sustain us through even the hardest times now, that our certain future really is certain. The end line is near, and it is worth it to keep going. And so to remind us of just how guaranteed and good this final line is, he also encourages Timothy while reminding him of how serious it all is too. Have a look down at verses 13 to 16. Listen to this incredible description of Jesus and of God within all of this struggle. So Paul says to Timothy, verse 13, In the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. We need to fix onto our certain hope of eternal life if we want to keep going. And we can do that fixing onto the truth of who won that eternal life for us. Christ Jesus, the one who will appear again one day, Paul reminds Timothy, and who will take us then to be with him. The one who was faithful to the very end, even when stood before Pontius Pilate in the face of immense suffering, fix onto him like a weasel on an eagle. Never wander far away from Jesus. Never stop looking at him. If you are bored of Jesus this evening, you need help. <laughs> Reread the Gospels. Tell somebody. Spend time looking at Jesus, who he is, what he's done, how magnificent he is. 
We need to never get bored of hearing everything that he's done for us and what he will do for us and in us and through us. Fix on to Jesus. And fix on to the Father too. He's the one who gives life to everything and everyone. He is the only ruler over everything, despite what the world might feel like right now. You see, God is sovereignly ruling over every circumstance in your life and for good reasons. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh, Boris and Vladimir and Joe and Donald and others might think they're the supreme power, but they're nothing compared to the authority and the power of our Father God and his rule and his authority over everything. He alone is immortal, eternal, and the one who can give eternal life to everything and has given you and me eternal life in Christ Jesus freely. But I need to stop and say that if you are not somebody who knows what it means to call Jesus your Savior and your Lord, then this is just something you're stood on the outside of looking in. If you are not yet a Christian this evening, you have no guarantee and hope of all of this. You've got no certainty that this is true for you. Unless you've confessed your sins and you've asked Jesus to forgive you and help you to live a life worthy of the forgiveness that he offers. Unless you've chosen to make him not just your saviour, but also lord of your life and determined to obey him with his help. You have no confidence that this eternal life is yours. However, the offer is always open. That door is never shut until the day you die. And if you're here this evening and you're not yet a Christian, and you can't understand these words, and you don't know how these people can have this confidence in this certain future and hope, would you talk to somebody tonight? Would you speak to somebody? Eternity is coming quicker than we think. Our life is a brief sneeze of time. And then we have an eternity. And you're either with God or you're without him. There's no sitting on the fence. There's either eternal life as talked about here, or there is eternal death, separate from God, in all of his goodness, and only present in his anger against you and your sin. And this talk of eternal life should make you want to have that. And if that's something that you're wondering about tonight, please don't leave here this evening without talking to somebody about it. Because he gives this forgiveness and this eternal life freely to any who will come to him. Even though he lives in what the writer says here, in unapproachable light. We can't go near him. Not on our own. Thanks to Jesus, we get to draw near. And we get to come to the one who's unapproachable in perfect holiness. See, God doesn't give us standards and guidelines to meet and then do something different. God is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, and he lives in unapproachable light and purity. And he will, if you are a child of his, one day call us home to be with him forever. We can trust him, therefore, with all the dealings of our life now and trust him to give us the energy to keep going and use that as motivation that it is worth it. There is no sacrifice you could be called to make in this life for following Jesus that isn't worth it. Jesus makes that abundantly clear. You see, they and he is the eagle we're to cling to. They're the petrol pump we need to keep filling up from. And he's cheering us on. He's calling us to keep going. And then he gives us all the energy and the reserves we need to keep going until we get there with him. See, if we never want to outlive our love for him, if we want to keep going to the end, we need to flee from sin. We need to follow godly living. We need to fight the good fight and be ready for a fight. 
But we can only do all of that by fixing onto the only one who gives us all of the energy, the power, the strength, the help, the support to keep going. Who promises to keep us going at the very end. And I need you to remind me of this. And you need me and each other to remind you of this as well. So on our own, we can't keep going. But he will keep us going. Through each other and by his spirit. And because of him, we now can flee from sin. And we're free to no longer give in to sin like we used to. And because of him, we can follow righteousness. We're free to live lives that look more like him. Don't believe the lie the devil will try and tell you that you can't resist temptation anyway. So just give in. Because it's just not true. And because of him, we can now fight the fight right to the end with the Spirit's help by fixing onto the eternal life that Christ has won for us. God the Father gives to us and the Holy Spirit starts living out in us now today. <coughs> so if you're exhausted this evening, you might need to take some time to remind yourself of what he's done and what he's won for us. Let's be people who are known for fleeing, following, fighting and fixing onto with the strength and the power that he gives us through his life, death and resurrection. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he didn't consider equality with you something to be used to his own advantage. But instead he humbled himself, taking on humanity, living amongst us, loving us, being humiliated by us, and then dying on a cross in our place, taking all of the punishment that we deserve for all of the ways we've let you down and the way we rebel against you in our hearts. Thank you that he was willing to die for us, but more importantly, Father, we thank you he was able to rise again, demonstrating victory over sin, and thank you that he now sits at your right hand, making even our prayers now acceptable before you, so that we can come before you and pour out our confessions of sin, those ways we let you down, that we can call out requests from you, Father, knowing that uh, Jesus makes them all perfect in your eyes and in your sight. And that we can come before you, no matter how dirty we might feel ourselves, knowing that Jesus has washed us fully clean in your sight. Father, thank you for the righteousness that Jesus gives to us. Lord, we're so sorry for the ways in which we fail to live that out. Lord, we're sorry for those ways we, we don't flee from sin when we should. That we give in to it. Lord, help us to flee from sin more often. Help us to follow godly living and to live lives that are worthy of the calling we've received and that demonstrate your holiness and your goodness to the world around us. Help us to be prepared for the fight, Lord. Help us to be ready to fight and for the toughness it's going to be to live for you. And help us to do that all by fixing onto the promises you give us of eternal rest with you in glory, either when we die or when you return to take us to be with you. Lord, we thank you for this passage. You pray, we pray, Father, that you'd help us or this family church here, to be a family that loves each other well and helps each other to fight and to flee and to fix onto and to follow well. Be with this church, I pray. I pray that you bless them and use their gospel witness in this area to draw more people in to come and know you and love you as their Lord and Saviour. And if there are people here tonight, Father, who don't yet know you as that, I pray that you would be speaking to them even through this passage, calling them to repentance and to faith in you with a wonderful hope that you promised to give us. So be with us now in this week ahead, we pray. Help us to remember these things and to live these things out. Help these things to come to mind at the right time. Take away things that will be unhelpful for us to remember, Father, we pray. And help us to be uh, running this race well to the end. And we pray that all of us here 
would never outlive our love for you. Amen. We're going to sing a song as we close. Um, Oh Jesus, I have promised a song reminding us of what we have committed to if we are his children. Again, if you are not a Christian here this evening, these words aren't necessarily true for you. Why not take some time as we sing them to read them, think about what they're saying, think about what might need to be done in your heart and your lives to make them true for yourselves. I have promised to serve you to the end. But wonderful you can do that because he's promised to serve us and keep us to the very end. Thank you.